From Green Biz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here at Green Biz headquarters at 350 Frankogawa Plaza in downtown Oakland, California. On this week's edition, the ROI of sustainability, three secrets for scoring an entry-level sustainability gig, the growing business of nature, and 14 sustainability podcasts you need to know. Well, I guess 13 just wasn't enough. This week on 350. It's March 15th, 2019. Beware the Ides of March. And welcome to this week's edition of Green Biz 350. Joining me from Joy Z is Green Biz Editorial Director Heather Clancy. How are you doing, Heather? Hello, Joel. Is that what's wrong with this morning? It's the Ides of March. I forgot. Yeah. Do you know what do you even know what the Ides of March is or means? Doesn't it have something to do with Julius Caesar or some Caesar being killed? <laughs> yeah, no, it would, it would be Julius. Um uh, yeah, the, the Ides of March. The Ides used to be uh, how we referred to before. There were numbers for the dates. There were a number mm. of other words, and the Ides was the middle of the month. And most months, the Ides was on the 13th, but in four months, including March, it's on the 15th. And uh, yeah, most people probably heard the, the phrase, the Ides of March, quoted from, from Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, beware the Ides of March. Um, and it's spoken by... Uh, somebody who's warning Caesar of his impending assassination. So the Ides of March became an unlucky day because Caesar was actually killed that day. And since then, uh, the idea stuck that Ides of March is unlucky or a portent of doom, even if your name isn't Julius. So yeah, maybe that's uh, what's, I don't know, something going on we should know about? No, I just don't feel 100%, that's all. Uh, Well... You're pretty good even at 50%, so I think we're <laughs> in good shape. Well, um, you were at a conference this week? I was at a conference this week. Our friends at the NYU Stern Center for Sustainable Business had New, a conference. New York University, right? NYU, yeah. yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm from the East Coast. Everyone knows what NYU means. New York and, University. And what was that, <laughs> and what was that about? So the, the folks there at the business school have a, a a practice, and that's the folks meaning uh, Tansi Whalen, our friend, uh, the director of this this organization. They've uh, introduced a methodology that helps uh, business types uh, understand the return on investment for sustainability. So last year they they introduced this this methodology, and they they refer to it as ROSI, nice. return on sustainable investment. And uh, they have a practitioner form. So they, what they were doing was basically giving a progress report on this this uh, methodology. Uh, and then it did, they had some really terrific speakers talking about the, the interest from mainstream investors in this information and how practitioners could get their arms around working better with the finance team. It, it, lots of the, the sorts of themes that we've been focusing on more deeply uh, in the past six months. And uh, it was just a, a nice jolt of, uh, of reality, uh, how, why this is hard, why it's getting, why it's important to get to get more mainstream, but why it's still very hard. So it was a great day for for immersion. Well, a great conference should be a jolt. And so I'm glad you you got one. Um, And you've got an interview with Tansi coming up later in this episode, right? I do. She was her usual 
wonderful self on philosophy, but also well-spoken on the tactics. Great. Well, coming up in a little bit, but for now, let's get to the Week in Review. And let's start with a piece by our contributor, R.P. Siegel, called Nature, the one partner every company should work with. What I'm really jazzed about this topic, and and this is a good uh, sort of level-setting piece, because we're going to be seeing a lot more about how companies can work with nature. Now, what do I mean by that? Because, you know, being a sustainable business is inherently about aligning with natural systems, although most companies don't think of it in those terms necessarily. But we're going to be seeing more ways companies are actually trying to uh, harness or leverage uh, in a positive way natural systems to do things like not just mitigate but reverse climate change, um, the whole use of natural capital accounting, I think is going to be growing, something we've been talking about for a long time, uh, you know, harnessing nature services to, to as I said, to bring down, uh, reverse, not just uh, slow the emissions of greenhouse gases. And NRP gets into this, uh, talks to the, the Nature Conservancy about um, a session, came out of a session at, at our GreenBiz conference uh, a few weeks ago uh, about uh, sort of natural capital stewardship. And I think this really is the leading edge of something we're going to be hearing a lot more about, not just this year, but I think next year in, in Davos and groups like the World Business Council for Sustainable Development and others are really going to be ramping up on this topic. Yeah, what I appreciated about this piece is that it's speaks to some work that uh, TNC, the Nature Conservancy, is doing with International Paper and Capital One, both of which obviously are in the business of working with a lot of paper. Capital One, of course, they're one of the companies that sends you all sorts of direct mailings. <laughs> you know, What's in your you wallet? To... Yeah, exactly. Um, and so they're, they're very beholden to uh, paper and how they source it and so forth. And so both of these companies are looking at better forest management. So, you know, the the fact is they're going to use the paper. They're not going to stop using the paper. International paper is focused on the business of selling paper. Um, So how do you reduce your impact? And the story specifically covers this uh, technique called Reduced Impact Logging for Climate Change is one of of those lovely acronyms. The thing that was really uh, compelling to me about this was that it looks at how you can Ew. just change the way that log, logging is done. For example, in this particular uh, session, they discussed the idea of instead of take a huge bulldozer into a forest, using smaller equipment, which would, number one, allow for narrower road, roads, so you don't have to destroy as much forest to get to the forest as you normally would, as well as the way you cut down the trees. So a lot of times when you cut a tree down, you the damage ones that are next to it, they also don't test them well enough ahead of time. So, you know, is this tree going to be okay? If we cut it down, are we going to use it? Um, so it just, you know, it's like one of those really wonderful examples of pragmatic approaches of doing less damage um, in, in the first place. Yeah, and, that, and this piece syncs up nicely with another piece we ran on Monday, uh, by uh, our senior contributor, Usilia Wong, uh, around corporate action 
on deforestation, which of course came out of one of the trends in our 2019 State of Green Business report. And she talks about uh, how companies are, are ramping up more proactively and uh, around their forestry and, and issues and trying to stop deforestation first and foremost. And uh, companies like Apple and H&M and Kimberly Clark and L'Oreal and Unilever uh, doing some interesting things. So yeah, this is a growing topic. And it's not just about trees, it's about ecosystems in general, uh, this growing trend on, on business and nature. So look for more on that. The next piece I want to talk about is by our friend and 2017 Green Biz 30 Under 30 honoree, Jeremy Bond, who's sustainability strategy manager at the uh, flooring company Interface. He's written a number of pieces for us. We really love it when our 30 under 30s or emerging leaders write for us. Not often enough, but uh, thank you, Jeremy, for just being a trooper and, and, and getting us a piece every few months. Uh, and he wrote a piece basically about the conversations he has because he speak, travels around uh, the United States and speaking to and coaching college students about sustainable business. You know, what are the questions they have about how do you get, and we all get these questions, everyone at GreenBiz and everyone probably listening to this podcast, how do I get a job in sustainability? I mean, you must get a lot of those, Heather. I, in fact, have a conversation this afternoon about that very topic <laughs> on right. my schedule. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, how do you get into this? Um, you know, everyone, and I think one of the points that Jeremy makes is really uh, useful. I mean, don't lead with the fact that you're passionate about this. I think that's sort of a an assumed, right? That's a that's table stakes. Everyone, you have to talk about how you're going to add value. You you, you need to speak about um, what it is that you have that's unique to the to the the people that you, that potentially could be your future employer. So, yeah, I I love having these conversations because um, I've been around. You've been around too, Joel. And I would love to help people not make the same mistakes I did, <laughs> or they can make different mistakes. <laughs> any, any information I can tell them about my mistakes so they can avoid them, um, they can just make their own mistakes. Um, but yeah, Jeremy's got some great advice for uh, any, I mean, frankly, for any uh, young, young college student or any person that's trying to restart their career, um, how to think about adding value, uh, because the, the recruiting process is so, so, so different than than it used to be. Yeah, well, be careful what you wish for, Heather, by putting out there that you love having those conversations because oh. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we got a lot of young people listening to this, I know. That's true, um, that's true. You know what, I like it. Yeah, it's good. Fine. Yeah, I, I don't mind too, but I don't sure I always have stuff to tell them, but one of the things that I do tell them, which really is implicit, if not necessarily explicit in Jeremy's piece, it, but, but you were talking a little bit about it, you alluded to it about the, you know talking about your passion first, you know that first of all, these jobs are few and far and far between. Although there are opportunities to to exercise, uh, as I like to call it, your green gene, your interest in or passion and sustainability in any job. But leading with that passion is problematic. We see that even at GreenBiz, with people who come in and say, "Yeah, I'm a big environmentalist. I was in the ecology club at, at, in college, and I I'm a member of the Sierra Club." It's like, okay, good, nothing wrong with that. But what do you know about whatever the job is about marketing or customer service or journalism or uh, design or conference production. And because that's what the job is. And it's not that it 
the, it's not that it's content free. Obviously, we want people who get the topic, but uh, we want people first and foremost who have skills that we can deploy. And I think that's a lot of what uh, Drami's getting to. It is the, he has these three tips. The first one is adding value, and uh, you know the employer wants to you know hear about your sustainability, but that's not what you lead with. Um, and you know, companies hire to meet needs and ultimately advance the bottom line, he says, um, and therefore be sure to parse out clear, relevant examples from your college experience of teamwork, leadership, problem solving, creativity, things like that. And, and that's wise advice. Mm -hmm. And you know, being strategic mm -hmm. is the is second one around, you know, how do you understand where you really fit and what are the, how does it fit with what the company's strategic goals are and how do you differentiate yourself uh, in this age of corporate sustainability where that has gone mainstream? And then as third is, you know, start early, uh, you know, from your early college days to, uh, you know, build relationships with professors, advisors, uh, maybe you, Heather, <laughs> who, you know, people who can provide advice, industry connections, and a listening ear as you process your interests. And I do have those conversations as well, of course. Uh, people want to know, you know, what do I study? How do I get a job? What, what, are, what would look good on a resume? And, you know, I try to, try to be helpful, but it, it, it's, it's hard. Yeah, my final closing thought on this would be that your sustainability job might not be in a sustainability team. It might not even have that word in the title that you might be able to go into a different role and have that sort of impact in a completely different department. And that's the other point that he makes is look for a place where you can have that influence um, without necessarily having that title. Uh, and that, that actually is reflected on our 30 under 30 list. We do have individuals on that list each year that are not even necessarily in a sustainability role. Um, and I'm going to do a little self-plug. We have a, a nomination call out right now, and you've got until April 5th to either A, suggest yourself, or B, suggest someone wonderful that you know that really should be recognized. Who is under 30 and will still be under 30 on June, I think it's 3rd or 4th or 5th or whenever it is, that we're releasing, the first week of June, that we're uh, releasing our 2019 list of 30 under 30s. Yeah, thanks for getting that plug in there. But yeah, and, and to your final thought, my final thought on this topic is that I've long said that sustainability is way too important to be left to sustainability departments. And it needs to uh, be everyone's job. And that means you need to have sustainability-minded people in supply chain and fleets and facilities and HR and finance and customer service and mark marketing and communications and every place else. So uh, the, the, the great green dream job you're looking for may not be in the sustainability department. And to your point, Heather, it may not even have the S word or the E word or the G word, sustainability, green or environmental in the title. But let's move on to a third story. And I have to tell you something. I hope this isn't difficult to hear, but we're not the only sustainability <gasps> podcast out there. <gasps> yes, I know. I'm sorry. I should have should have told you to take a deep breath. But um, uh, as you well know, we have lots of company and our associate editor, Holly Seacon, this week did a great, great roundup of 14 sustainability podcasts you need to know. Do you have any favorites on this list? 
I haven't listened to all 14. Uh, some of these, like Climate One, which is uh, uh, Greg Dalton at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco, has some great guests and conversations. I like Green Tech Media's The Energy Gang Show. It's always interesting uh, if you're deep into energy. I, I haven't listened to most of these. I, I honestly don't, you know, I'm not one of these podcast people. And when I do, I often listen to things that are not sustainability related uh, because, you know, you and I live and breathe that stuff at least five days a week. So I listen to some of some, some other kinds of things, but they're, they're, I've sampled a little bit and um, there's lots of good stuff out there. How about you? Yeah. So what I love about the list is that it goes from the very basic, so sustainably defined, which is really like what is sustainability? How do I get this into my company? So that's sort of for the, the basic people that are thinking about this and, and maybe business, you know, for more uh, general business audience that's trying to get their arms around the concept, um, all the way through to um, tales of inspiration. So my favorite on this list is the Bioneers. You hear these amazing stories um, from everyone from Jean Goodall, like she's one of the examples of an interview that's done on this to actors and and people that are very locally focused, such as people that are trying to build equity in Oakland or, you know, like cities like Oakland, I should say. And so it's just one of these um, podcasts you listen to for uh, the chill factor, right? The goosebump factor. You, you listen to these stories and, and the, the, the speakers are very thoughtful and evocative and, and, and they tug, they tug at something in your, in your heart and soul. So I, I love it. Uh, that's the kind of thing I try to listen to when I have a little bit of free time. So that's one of my favorites. Nothing like uh, getting goosebumps from a podcast. I think that's mm-hmm. sort of the, uh, the the measure of success. Well, um, I hope you sample those and I hope that you listen to some and I hope that um, you don't stray from this one or from Center Stage, our other podcasts. This week, the NYU Stern Center for Sustainable Business held its second annual practice forum. The theme, how to assess the ROI on sustainability for corporate practitioners and investors. Joining me to talk about this year's program, as well as some of the findings of some new research, is Tansi Whalen. She is the director for the center. Tansi, thanks for joining GreenBiz 350. It's a pleasure to be with you. So the first thing that I wanted to start with is last year, um, the, the school introduced what you're, you're calling the return on sustainable investment uh, or the return for sustainable investment. So the methodology was introduced about a year ago. Grade your progress. How is this being accepted? Um, is anyone actually using it? Yeah, so last year we introduced the return on sustainability investment, or ROSI as we call it, because we like to see this as a ROSI future. Um, And this uh, methodology helps companies to monetize the return on the investments they're making in their sustainability strategy, including intangibles as well as tangibles. So things like operational efficiencies, risk mitigation, employee engagement and retention, um, marketing and sales and so on. Um, we've had really significant uptake. We've been working with the automotive sector, Aston Martin, um, GM, VW. We're now starting an initiative with the apparel sector, which includes Reformation and Eileen Fisher. We've been working with Mars. We've been working with Pfizer. Um, so a series of different companies have begun to use Rosie as a tool to better understand 
um, where value is being created in their sustainability initiatives to then be able to scale up those initiatives and really um, uh, deliver shared value back to the company and to society. Now, you did uh, talk through the results of some of these early pilots. So can you go through one, for example, maybe the Mars one on food? Yeah. Yeah, so we've been working with Mars, who has got a massive program to work with their suppliers, the companies that are between them and the farmers, with the two, with the suppliers and Mars putting money into a fund, which goes to NGOs, nonprofit organizations, that then provide training and support around sustainable agriculture uh, to farmers. So Mars wanted to understand what were the intangible as well as tangible benefits, how would you monetize them for those um, suppliers uh, who were making these investments in, in these funds. And so we work with them to develop a tool that would assess and found that actually value is being created through having a more stable, secure supply chain. So you were reducing risk, right? Um, through uh, employee engagement and retention. So a whole series of different ways in which we saw that value was being created. And now um, Mars and the suppliers can better assess the return on investment. So one of the points that you made that I found fascinating was that sustainability as a function is being embedded into more companies, that the sustainable team, if you will, is talking to the strategists and um, to some extent the, the people in operations, but not really the accounting or data people. Why is that a big gap? Yeah, so I would say that sustainability, sustainability people don't really know how to talk finance people's language. <laughs> and there aren't generally people, they're not reporting into finance, there aren't generally people in, um, with, uh, in finance who are active in sustainability. And that's because generally the sustainability initiatives come either from the CEO or from marketing or from operations, but not out of the CFO's office. And the CFO doesn't really have the tools to track or understand these other than these are expenses that need to be paid. So I think a really critical part of embedding um, a good rosy process is to uh, ensure that um, finance is part of the conversation, is part of developing the metrics, and is actually engaged in um, assessing the return on sustainability investment. Great. Now, you have some new research out this week, which, uh, again, intriguing results. Many companies struggle to understand the bottom line impact of what you might call a sustainable product, something that's somehow marketed or positioned as a product that's more sustainable than others but you have research out this week that sort of looks at that. So tell us about the, re, the, the rationale behind this project and what you found out. Yeah. So interestingly, there's a lot of myths out there around whether people will or will not buy sustainably marketed products, whether it's a niche pro, you know, line, um, if you charge more, but the people will pay for it and so on. But the reality is that for more than 10 years, no one has actually done a study of consumers' actual purchase behavior. So we partner with IRI, which is a firm that collects point of sale data. So whenever you buy something, there's a barcode on there. They get access to that data uh, and they have it across all consumer packaged goods categories. And so we looked at 36 uh, consumer packaged goods uh, categories and about 70,000 products to assess whether there was growth or decrease in demand for sustainability marketed products. What we found is that in 2018, uh, and we looked, sorry, from 2013 to 2018, so we looked over a five-year period. 
So in 2018, sustainability marketed products were um, about uh, over 16% of the total market, um, up from about 13% five years earlier, um, which is significant, but not huge. But the really interesting information is that 50% of the, of the growth was coming from the sustainability marketed products. And when you looked across all the categories, in more than 90% of the categories, um, the growth was in the sustainability marketed products, not the conventionally marketed products. And they were growing at 6.6 times faster than the, um, the regular CPG products. So um, there's a growing story here that companies need to pay attention to that the old sort of perspective from a couple of years ago is changing and it's changing rapidly. You did not, I want to make clear that you did not look at products that had quote natural quote as a, as a marketing framework. These were products that had a specific certification attached? Yeah, so the way we assessed whether or not a product was marketed as sustainable was looking at whether there was a third party certification or other types of claims that we listed as sustainable, like no GMOs, for example. We did not go in and assess whether they were actually sustainable, but more if they were marketed as sustainable. The term natural, we did not include, except for in one category, which I'll come to, because it just doesn't mean anything, right? So we didn't know how consumers, whether consumers would be looking at that as a sustainability ploy or not, so we just didn't include it, except for in laundry detergent, because there, when something is 100% natural, it actually does mean something, because there it means that there's no chemicals in it. So we felt in that instance we would allow that. To round back to the sustainability investment argument, right, the R-O-S-I, Rosie, what would you advise a sustainability professional to do, given this new landscape of um, investor interest in this information, but the very real fact that a lot of this is intangible, it's very hard, it's not cash, it's not necessarily a cash investment, it's investment of time, it's an investment of resources. Where should a sustainability team focus first in order to push the rosy of their organization or of their efforts forward? So I think organizations should be guided by what are material ESG issues for them. And they can look to GRI, Global Reporting Initiative, or SASB, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, to help them determine the materiality of the issues they should be focusing on. Then they need to be developing and implementing sustainability strategies. And the key, what we do with, this, with our ROSI uh, framework, is so we look at their strategies, we look at the practices that they put in place, and then we look at the benefits that come from those practices, and then we monetize them. So what they need to be doing is actually tracking all the practices they put in place and what kind of benefits come out of them. So to give you a small example, in the automotive sector, um, they have one major strategy is to reduce waste management or is to improve waste management. One particular um, practice is to recycle paint solvent. Benefits that come out of recycling paint solvent include uh, buying less paint solvent, so you're saving money, um, selling recycled paint solvent, which they actually have extra so they can sell it so they have a revenue source, and lower disposal costs because you no longer have the wastewater and um, the toxic wa uh, dump, you know, the, the disposal costs. So you're saving money in many ways. So 
really building in the ROSI framework from the beginning to align with your sustainability strategy so you can really understand what practices, because those practices might be all over the company and the financial impact might be all over the company. So you need to know from the outset how you're going to put in place ROSI to track those, those numbers. Tati, thanks for your time this afternoon and uh, thanks for joining us on Green Biz 350. I love Green Biz, so I'm uh, thrilled to be a uh, part of this. And that's our 350 podcast for this week. As always, you can go to greenbiz.com slash 350 and you'll find everything you've ever wanted to know about the organization, stories and events and podcasts that we mentioned in this episode. And speaking of that, while you're there, check out Center Stage, our other podcast, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. Our email is 350 at greenbiz.com. And don't forget to subscribe to one or more of our five weekly e-newsletters. Heather's Verge Weekly comes out on Wednesdays. She alternates with Shauna Rappaport. My Green Buzz newsletter is fresh every Monday morning. And check out the other three, too, on transportation and mobility, clean energy, and the circular economy. You can find those from the homepage at greenbiz.com. Heather and I will be back next week, as usual. Until next time, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks so much for tuning in.